We are back with you here on The Punch-Out, the 11th of March, 2021. Very happy to be with you on this Thursday, as we are happy to be with you every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time here on The Punch-Out. Plenty for you on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about how police and prosecutorial misconduct is responsible for most of the death row exonerations, you see, so... Ain't no accident. We're going to be talking about the United Kingdom's lithium grab in Bolivia, or at least attempted lithium grab in Bolivia. But before we get to either of those two critically important stories, we are going to start by talking about how juvenile jails are more racist than ever. Well, one seeming bright spot as it concerns America's massive racist classist incarceration system is that due to COVID-19, there was a major acceleration in releasing young people from youth detention centers of all types uh, because of just uh, public health issues. As the Marshall Project notes, quote, in the first month of the pandemic alone, the number of children held in detention facilities plummeted by 24%, end quote. It was a decline that took youth incarceration to the lowest levels since the 1980s. But it turns out that that really was not as good as it may sound. In fact, it turns out that, quote, detention centers were releasing white youths at a 17% higher rate than black youths, according to a monthly survey of juvenile justice agencies in more than 30 states conducted by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, end quote. Which means, as the Marshall Project further summarizes, quote, many youth facilities are increasingly holding almost entirely black and Latino teens, end quote. And it isn't simply just the attrition rate either, that black and Latino young people are just the majority of who's left over. The number of black and Latino young people held in these various detention centers has actually risen during the pandemic. Now, the detention facilities themselves, of course, say that this is all just incidental, that it's just that black and Latino young people in these facilities are just more violent and they're held on more serious crimes. And that's a fact that there's really not any evidence for it all. That's just what they're saying, although some of them are now saying that having seen the disparities, Harris County and Houston, for instance, having seen the disparities, they'll work to change them. But, you know, they're basically making it seem like it was an accident. One thing we do know, however, is that Black and Latino people are disproportionately charged and overcharged for many offenses, which is not an accident. For instance, Black and Latino youth are more likely to be charged with, say, aggravated assault over just regular assault, which oftentimes is a subjective designation, but can mean everything in terms of who they decide to let out and not let out. Regular assault could be a schoolyard brawl. Aggravated assault is considered to mean you're some sort of crazy thug, but that could also be a schoolyard brawl. So you see how that super predator mentality is baked into the system. But more than that, 
Research shows that the real culprit tends to be how black youth in particular are perceived by those responsible for making the decisions. One study that reviewed all the available literature on the subject noted concerning this issue that, quote, biased attitudes are at play among police officers, probation officers, and judges within the juvenile justice system, end quote. The American Academy of Pediatrics has further noted that youth detention is already a major health risk, regardless of COVID-19. They note, quote, even under normal circumstances, many detention facilities fail to provide a supportive, developmentally appropriate environment for confined youth. Saying further that because of this, quote, youth involved with the justice system are entitled to special consideration in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, that's the American Academy of Pediatrics. Youth involved with the justice system are entitled to special consideration in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Sadly, it seems that black and brown youth are not receiving said special consideration. Well, you are listening to or just heard the sounds of celebrations last Sunday in Bolivia. Celebrations that were marking the sweeping victory by the Movement Towards Socialism or MAS party in regional and local elections, giving them majority control now at all levels of government. An amazing feat considering that just one year ago, well, a little over one year ago, the MAS government had been removed after winning a previous election in 2019. They had been removed via a coup. The total reversal in less than a year has been hailed worldwide as a massive victory for democracy and has brought into closer focus the forces that supported the coup at the time, many openly participating in the promotion of fabricated evidence of a stolen election that was the coup's pretext. And just recently on that front, Declassified UK has revealed how the government of the United Kingdom who vigorously backed the coup, appeared to be motivated by a direct quid pro quo by the coup government to open up Bolivia's massive lithium reserves. Lithium is a crucial mineral for electric batteries, which makes it a crucial mineral for the next century. And they wanted to open that up again uh, after the coup, the UK did, uh, to UK companies for exploitation. It seems that there is a direct agreement to do that. Just one day after the election in 2019, the OAS produced a report that called the election results into question, and that report paved the way for the coup itself. The UK government played an integral role in that report, i.e. the coup, from early on. They organized and paid for a group of so-called citizen observers whose, quote, pre-election survey was pseudoscientifically cited as evidence of election fraud. Days after the coup, the UK government hailed the new coup government publicly at the highest levels, the foreign minister. And behind the scenes, things were moving quite rapidly, which maybe gives you a sense why they were hailing this government. Two weeks after the coup and days after the coup regime murdered 10 activists, 10 pro-democracy protesters, as it were, just days after that, weeks after the coup itself, there is a UK government proposal to optimize Bolivia's lithium exploration and production using British technology. That's a quote there from the proposal itself, to optimize Bolivia's lithium exploration and production using British technology. Now, that was, again, approved. 
and funded by the Inter-American Development Bank, which openly admits that the implementation of grant activities, again, this is a quote, are conducted in close coordination with designated government authorities. So in other words, the proposal was moved forward in close coordination with the coup regime just days after a massacre by the coup regime and just weeks after the coup itself. And... The day after the contract was signed, the UK government gave £33,000 to the company that got it, which is, by the way, one-third funded by the UK government. Four months after the coup, the British embassy partnered with the coup government in Bolivia to host an international mining conference. And interestingly enough, after said conference, the company the UK brought in to give the keynote speech emerged as one of the top consulting companies for mining issues in Bolivia. So as you can clearly see here, UK involvement seems like a pretty straightforward quid pro quo. They helped push the coup. The coup mongers responded by giving the UK company's pole position in one of the most important economic sectors for the 21st century world economy. Well, if that's not imperialism in real time, I don't know what is. Unfortunately for them, though, These are all just sunk costs now as the democratic resistance reversed the coup, which now means the review of all these contracts and relationships and undoubtedly the reversal of many, which proves yet again that repression often just breeds resistance and many times victory. The Death Penalty Information Center has reviewed all 183 death row cases where the person in question was declared innocent since 1972. They found that 69.2% have included official misconduct by police, prosecutors, or other government officials. In other words, the vast majority of people found innocent on death row are not random accidents or just some fluke because of some new DNA technology that wasn't available at the time they were tried but were in fact deliberate attempts to railroad people. Just to restate here, the overwhelming majority of people on death row found innocent since 1972 were put there due to deliberate wrongdoing by the cops or prosecutors. Additionally, misconduct was a factor in more than three quarters of the cases in which black defendants were exonerated, 78.8%. Interestingly enough, the longer it takes to exonerate someone, the more likely misconduct was involved. As the report noted, quote, misconduct occurred in 55.6% of cases in which exoneration took a decade or less, rising to 81.1% in exonerations taking 11 to 20 years, 88% in the cases in which exoneration took 21 to 30 years, and in all eight of the exonerations that took more than three decades. Now, that's pretty sobering because it, it means, and maybe this isn't a surprise, but it's still I think notable, it really means that cops and prosecutors are working very, very hard in many of these cases to hide their own misdoing and wrongdoing. The report also notes that, quote, underscoring the often intentional nature, the often intentional nature of wrongful capital convictions, more than half of all exonerations involved both official misconduct and perjury or false accusations. And at least one or the other, that's misconduct or perjury, was present in 153 of the 185 exonerations. That's 82.7%. Going on to note that among counties with multiple wrongful capital convictions, at least one of these factors was present in 90.3% of the cases. Hmm. When you look at where the rates of exonerations are the highest by county, There are some standouts here. 
Number one is Cook County, Illinois, or really Chicago. And that's just a keen reminder of the John Burge torture ring revealed in the mid-2000s, where for decades, cops under the leadership of a guy named John Burge tortured hundreds of people into false confessions. Third on the list is Philadelphia, home of political prisoner Mamiya Abu-Jamal, who was tried in a death penalty trial by Albert Sabo, the so-called hanging judge, who is said to have had more convictions overturned than any other judge in the history of the state. So the reputations for massively corrupt police and prosecutors' offices that are out there anecdotally, that is, are being matched up here with the data, which all goes to show the reality of the death penalty in the United States. It's extremely biased, and it's not aimed at bringing justice, but really just exacting a sense of social control over the target populations. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch Out 3-11-2021. Not going to do it for us here today on Breakthrough News, though, of course, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time is the freedom side on Breakthrough News. We're going to be talking tonight about the Derek Chauvin trial happening in Minneapolis. That's the trial of the cop who murdered George Floyd. And we're going to be going even deeper into the history of police terror in Minneapolis, talking to many other families of police violence there and that long, long history of which, sadly, George Floyd is just only one of the latest victims. And also another reminder, we're going to be off next week, but so we won't have many punch outs then, but we will be back with you tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time to end out the week here on the punch out from Breakthrough News. 